Welcome to Witchlit, a podcast where we talk about the craft of writing and writing the craft. I'm your host, Victoria Rashke, fiction author, witch, and nosy Scorpio. Jodie Graham McKay is a writer, initiated witch, and filmmaker. She is inspired to document and share stories that capture the beauty of nature and the visible and invisible realms of magic and witchcraft. Her documentary films include The Winnipegans and Starry Nights. She was the Canadian correspondent for The Wild Hunt and facilitates a busy coven. She lives in Treaty 1 Territory, homeland of the Métis Nation, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Jody, welcome. Hi there. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Great. Well, we'll jump right in then. And um, so my first question for everybody is why write? You know, sometimes you just have stuff to say and you got to get it out in a constructive way. And, um, you know, my first sort of vice when it came to creativity um, was filmmaking. Um, but that's not always practical. And uh, the opportunity to write and become a better writer uh, was presented to me through a series of crazy events. And I just, uh, I think I'd be crazy to walk away from that, those signs and symbols, you know. So, uh, you know, being creative is a is a wonderful joy. And finding ways to do that is, uh, I don't know, it's just fun. <laughs> I mean, we would always hope the things that we love are fun. I know sometimes writing can be its own strange little torture, but ultimately it should be fun. So, you know, writing is fun. Finding the the space and time is torture. Absolute miserable torture. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> so, what was your writing journey like? Did you did it come out of documentary filmmaking, or was it kind of a separate event that kicked off writing for you? Well, um, gee, you know, it was something that sprang out of uh, filmmaking. Uh, back in 2012, I released uh, a short film, a documentary film called The Winnipegans that you mentioned. And uh, I, th- you know, the pagan world is so transparent. There's one degree of separation from everybody, right? Yeah. So I'm sitting up here in little old Winnipeg, Canada, the belly button of North America, making this documentary film, I was commissioned by our local provincial broadcaster, uh, MTS, to do this project. And that was kind of a kick for me, you know, to receive funding from like a recognized broadcaster to make a film about the pagan community in my hometown. You know, I I pitched this uh, concept and uh, the broadcaster was all over it, thought it was just great. You know, it really uh, was a, a, a facet of our local culture that uh, hadn't been explored at all. So I was given some funding to make the film. And so I set about doing that. So, uh, you know, you think you're being really kind of anonymous and nobody's paying attention. But then one day this email pops into my inbox from uh, a writer from the Wild Hunt, the Pagan News Journal, and her name was Heather Green. And uh, she said, hey, I hear you're making a film about pagans up there in Winnipeg, Canada, and I'd like to write a story about this. And I'm looking at her, at her email and I'm thinking, 
you know, I can see in her sign off, she's down in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm thinking, how on earth does anybody in this, you know, the Southern United States know anything that's happening up here in Canada? So that conversation led to an article about the making of the film and then a second uh, article that was a review when the film came out and that led to a relationship uh, with Heather. And uh, when uh, she took over uh, editing the Wild Hunt, she dropped me another one of these, uh, you know, email surprises saying, hey, you know, we want to expand the scope of the of the Wild Hunt. Would you consider being our Canadian correspondent? And that was, you know, so, so exciting to me. I, I really enjoy reading the Wild Hunt and it's how I keep up to date on, on what the other pagans are doing. And uh, so I wrote for them for four years. And that 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 was that was great. I mean, it it really gave me a chance to uh, to work on my writing chops, and because documentary film is such a passion for me, I really enjoy stories that are real. I really enjoy the sort of voyeuristic glimpses into other ways of living and other ways of being. Um, you know, I find it fascinating. So to write uh, sort of on more in a journalistic way was a very, very exciting thing to do because these are real stories, you know? Um, and it dovetailed really nicely with what I was doing in my day job as in documentary film. So um, eventually Heather left and uh, went to work at Llewellyn and uh, she had pitched a, a series of books about the uh, elements of earth, air, fire, and water. And uh, I, I guess all my rabble rousing and uh, and uh, ranting about environmental issues and and earthy types of magic must have stuck in her mind because when she uh, dropped me yet another one of those email bombs saying, "Hey, would you would you ever considered writing a book?" Um, you know, my first impulse there was to laugh and think she was joking. Um, but she wasn't joking. And I figured that out when I was driving home from work that day and had to pull over and reread the email carefully and then respond that I would do it. <laughs> yeah. That that would be an interesting way to come to it, to not to not have that kernel yourself, but to have someone kind of prod you into like, oh, by the way, here's this opportunity to do this. That's a, a different way to come at it, I guess, than having the the spark for the book idea yourself. Well, it's also a really good reminder, you know, like if you see something in somebody that you think is uh, precious, you need to tell that person that they have a talent or a skill that you think is precious. Um, because sometimes people are sitting, I, I feel in, in hindsight, I can say, looking back, I've been dying to do this. But, uh, you know, we all need to be validated, right? Mm -hmm. And And when somebody says to you, you can do this. It's uh, sometimes that little nudge is all you need to set off a really spectacular chain of events. And uh, at, I, I try to remember that. That's the lesson I took out of that whole experience is that you can't take for granted that somebody knows or has the confidence or the that final little push to mm -hmm. get into doing something that's really going to be valuable, not only for them, but for their community or, or the world, you know. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, being a creative person in general, like I'm sure you're already familiar with like, you know, the doubts that creative people have. So to have someone outside validate that 
is always welcome. And especially if it's something it's new, like you're sticking your toe into, I think that's hugely important. I think that's a great point. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. And uh, we all like to be recognized, you know, for something that we do. You know, I like to cook. And when somebody eats something that I've lovingly prepared for them and they say, oh, that was wonderful. Like that makes me feel great. Mm -hmm. They feel happy. They feel taken care of and, and they feel, you know, nourished, you know, literally and figuratively. But I get so much back from hearing that they are content. Yeah, I, I'm a cook too. So I'm familiar with that feeling. Like the best thing about cooking is people, the sound they make when they eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. That's the validation. Agreed. Okay. Yep. Great. So how did you approach the book? Like now that you have kind of this project and you're working on a series, like how did you approach the actual writing? Well, because there were four of us that were writing uh, the books um, and, you know, I didn't know the other women, you know, I knew them, I knew some of them very casually from attending pagan events and, you know, conferences or, or what have you, but um, it's not like we were, you know, able to, you know, hang out together and meet and, and jam these ideas. So um, there was a, a bit of a template, you know, like the types of chapters that would, would need to be in the book. So there was, there was a lot of, uh, uh, working with uh, my editor to ensure that I was covering all the same sort of areas and topics that the other writers were covering. The upside of that is that the uh, series is very coherent and that, you know, if you read one book, you're going to know and be able to trust that you're going to be able to get the same types of answers out of the other three books. Mm -hmm. The downside of that is that um, I, I had a whole bunch of material that I wanted to include in the book that didn't conform to the template that we'd all agreed to. Um, and that's, that's frustrating because there were so many things that I wanted to include in the book that, I just, that just didn't fit. Mm -hmm. So again, upside, uh, there's, there's another book there. And I'm really hoping that that can come to light within the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, Earth magic um, in all its various forms is something that I'm very passionate about and something I care very deeply about. So it would be such a joy to see uh, a second Earth magic book. Um, I'd like to see the series, like a, a, a round two of the whole series, because mm -hmm. there, there's so many facets of each of these elements and uh, the way that they interact with our lives that I think we could expand it. Mm -hmm. But uh, come what may, I'd like to do so something again with Earth, Earth Magic. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised to find out there was more information that didn't make it into the book. Just the book itself is so dense with information, with correspondences and I mean, I was just kind of blown away at like what's actually in what is relatively slim volume is packed full of information. Did you work with the people who did the essays or was that just your editor? Did you choose the essays for those sections? Oh, I'm so glad you asked about that because I am so uh, pleased with those essays. Um, I handpicked everybody. Uh, each of the writers chose who they were going to include and how they were going to include them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, up to each of us. Uh, and each of the books has that element in, in them. Uh, the folks I choose, now I'll tell you a secret. All but one of the folks I choose, I chose to, to contribute to my book are Canadians. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm up here in Canada. We have a very large country with a relatively low population. So we're pretty spread out uh, from coast to coast. Um, I've had the privilege of being able to travel around and meet lots of pagan folks. And quite selfishly, this was just like having a party and getting some of my friends to come along. You know, people I've met <laughs> along the way who I think are are very, very interesting and articulate. And uh, they all have very um, uh, deep pagan practices that they're involved in that I find very inspiring. So, you know that's cool for me to be Mm -hmm. able to to involve these folks in a project that I'm doing. Um, All of them, uh, the the, the non-Canadian is uh, Jackie Wood, who lives in Cornwall, uh, UK. And I've been a fan of her her writing for a number of years. She's written some books uh, about uh, based on her work as an experiential uh, archaeologist. So, uh, for example, she would take archaeological findings of, uh, uh, you know, places where people would have been uh, cooking and processing food. And using the evidence at hand, she has tried to recreate uh, as best as she can possibly recreate recipes and dishes that people would have eaten uh, in history and cooking techniques and practices for domestic living. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the incredible thrill of visiting her at her home, uh, which is on a, an old farm in uh, rural Cornwall. Uh, and it's also an active archaeological site. Um, and she also raises Bengal cats. So she had kittens, archaeology, cooking, and witchcraft all in one place and my head exploded it was way too much fun yeah i can't even imagine like how awesome that would be <laughs> kittens and archaeology can oh, you believe it right kittens and archaeology about the witch pits which that whole essay was so fascinating and i was just, it's, they, they add all the essays add so much but i admit i was particularly taken with that one it's pretty intense yeah and I had I was able to explore the uh, the items she found in those witch pits, which are these. Uh, uh, they look like uh, like a spell bottle, but they're not contained in a bottle. They're contained in a pit dug in the earth, and each pit is lined with some kind of animal hide, and then uh, within that bundle is a series of artifacts, and. Th- of all the pits that she has discovered, they all follow a consistent pattern, but they're all slightly different using different types of animal parts, different types of little uh, artifacts, little tokens inside each pit. And they also span um, a rather long period of time from, uh, you know, 500 years ago up until the 70s, right? So it indicates that there's a form of traditional magic that isn't documented anywhere else um, that has been practiced uh, for hundreds of years within the same area. And I mean, I find that so exhilarating and so interesting. And knowing that the most recent pits that Jackie has found 
were dug and lain within my lifetime. Mm-hmm. This isn't ancient. Well, maybe maybe I'm ancient, but this isn't ancient history. You know, I was a child in the 70s and people were so at some point in the seven, in mid seventies, somebody did one of these pits. You know, I would I was a little kid at the time, so that made me feel very close to my history uh, as a witch. Uh, very, very tantalizing. You know, she had some folks from the Museum of Witchcraft at Boscastle come to to talk to her and, and to look at this stuff, and they thought they said to her, "Yeah, uh, we don't know what this is. We have no documentation of this. It's it it, it could be nothing." Well, it's it's not nothing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of things, and it's very tangible. Um, and isn't it exciting to think there's still, you know, unknown witchcraft practices out there that aren't, you know, on TikTok or Pinterest? You know, this is <laughs> yes. great. And like you said, in our life, I mean, I was a child in the '70s too, so I appreciate that 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 overlap of something that is a continuance, not wholly a reconstruction, is fascinating. Yes. Yeah, I uh, I love thinking about that. And I loved going there to see that. And then uh, the rest of the essayists are Canadian folks. Um, uh, Dr. Karen Froman, who is uh, an old friend of mine uh, here in Winnipeg. Uh, she uh, used to practice Wicca. And uh, she, uh, she let that go as she uh, when she went back to university and was working on her degree she rediscovered uh, her indigenous spiritual practices and set aside european witchcraft to reclaim her heritage and so that that comes up in the essays mm-hmm. um there's even a, a really lovely evocation to the goddess the kalia or the goddesses the kalia um written by a poet and priestess angela gray Mm. So, you know, a little bit of everything, some academia, some nerdy archaeological nerdiness, some poetry, and uh, like you say, a lot of a lot of correspondences and some of my, my own reflections and, and uh, whatnot sprinkled throughout the book, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an incredibly rich text. And someone mentioned this in one of the, the things but I, at the beginning, but I also thought I loved that you gave permission for people to use it like a workbook to really like live with this book and mark it up and take notes and, you know, flag it, like all of those things. Cause I think, you know, especially like books about practice, like that to me is how a book lives a little bit when you're using it in that way. And it's like, when you have a cookbook that all the pages are dirty that you go to time and time again, it just, to me, that is like the sign that what's in the book is important and has been useful. You know, it is a strange thing. Like, I I own a lot of books. It's like I'm one of those witches with all the stacks of books, you know, towering and teetering (laughs) around my office and my nightstand and strategic piles that I think nobody's noticing throughout the house. But, you know, I'm, you know, obviously people listening can't see this, but I'm going to hold up. This is my own copy of, of Earth Magic that I'm holding up in my hands. And you know, I've got little post-it notes sticking out, pages, pages that are favorite pages, pages that um, I've been asked about, pages that for some reason, um, you know, just need to be noted in my own book. It took me a long time to get my head around the fact that my witch books are going to be mine, right? Someday, maybe somebody will inherit them. 
but they're in, inheriting something that was a working tool in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to freak out if I saw somebody writing in a book or highlighting in a book, you know, with a highlighting pen. And then I changed my mind about that. You know, I think I'm also a record collector. I'm just a giant nerd for vinyl. I (laughs) I worked in music stores for a really long time. And there's a, a record collector thing where the vinyl must be pristine. It must look unblemished. It must be as if it was never played, even though you've played it a hundred times. No fingerprints, no cat hair. And I guess I kind of took that into books. And for record collectors, you don't want to devalue your collection by looking like you appreciated it, right? But with my witch books, I really feel like it's important that, that we use them as the tools that they should be. Like if you're reading the book and then using that book to do your craft, darn right, it should be a little bit messed up, you know? Okay. So maybe you don't want to get a pen and write something that, you know, you might regret, but you know, some post-it notes, you know, maybe you're going to dog ear a page and bend it back. So you don't, you know, forget where you read that genius thing. Use your, use your books. You know, what are you afraid of? Yeah, I think I came at it from, I collected cookbooks first. And like my most used cookbooks, like the spines are broken. And, you know, my mom had a copy of like the Better Homes and Gardens cookbook from the 40s that was held together with duct tape. And so me, to me, it was like, that's a book that's like had a life. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Yes. You know, and I love to go into these bookstores and find other people's notes and comments in the margins of stuff. So I think um, it's just an interesting way. And I do think we tend to think of books as these very precious things. Um, and they are, I mean, especially the information in them, but they are a tool, like you said, as well. So, yeah, I thought it was important just to say, you know, write in this book, make notes, you know, throw it, you know get it muddy it's uh i don't know it shows you're using it i mean we all have it out in the world too (laughs) yeah i mean we all have books in our collections that we haven't read yet right but uh isn't it great when you see evidence of a book well read Mm -hmm. yep definitely so you said like based on the like the series you had like some parameters you had to hit for the things like that you were assigned to or things you wanted to include. Like, how did you approach research for that? Cause I know the bibliography in this book is pretty extensive. So how did you like come at the research portion of it? Um, how did I come at the research process? I, I don't know. A lot of the, a lot of what's um, everything that's in the book is things that are part of my life. So that's where I started. I didn't want to write about something that um, that I don't do or practice. Um, and in some cases, uh, you know, I also wanted to fold in um, looking at sources that aren't necessarily pagan, right? Um, you know, for example, uh, one of the books that I, I referred to and one of the writers I referred to was Diana Beresford Kroger. 
who um, I actually worked with on a documentary film project, but she writes extensively about trees. And she's writing at it from um, uh, the, the point of view of a scientist and a botanist. So, you know, she's a pretty excellent primary source for me. So when it, when it came to, uh, you know, elements of the natural world, like, you know, trees or rocks or uh, minerals or whatever, I, I tried to, to find, um, you know, so, uh, primary sources, reference material that, that I really, really respect and recommend. And, you know, I'm fortunate in that um, because of my documentary film work, uh, a lot of the projects I've been involved with are about natural history or environment. So I had, I had some extra touchstones there. And then, uh, you know, trying to break that down and, and categorize it and uh, lots of post-it notes. Lots and lots and lots and lots of post-it notes. Um, millions. I think I own shares in the post-it note company by now. Um, yeah. How did I do that? I just kind of did it. I don't know if I had like a, a really uh, well, I didn't, I don't have a really well thought out method for that. Um, you know, as I would research a certain topic, I would often have a, a, you know, I'd have my manuscript document going and I'd be writing, but then I'd have a second document where I would uh, put all my potential footnotes or uh, sources just in a, in a running document uh, for each chapter. So that if I got, if I, if I needed to uh, double check something or cross check something, everything was kind of very nerdily color coded as well so that I could keep track of, oh, that inform the information about trees that I highlighted in green, that's all that I can go back to Diana's book for, for more information about that or, um, you know, this field guide or whatever. Um, so yeah, lots of color coding, lots of, lots of that kind of running commentary just to keep my thoughts organized. Because yeah, there was a lot of reference material used for that book. I, I just was kind of impressed with how much, and it's funny you say like all this stuff is in your practice. Cause I was reading the section on salts and I was like, oh, this is a person who cooks because so <laughs> much of the references in the salt were especially like the, the Himalayan black salt is like, oh yeah, this shows up now in a lot of vegan cooking. And I was like, only someone who cooks would know that. <laughs> well, and it's so funny because salt is something I collect, <laughs> you yeah, know, if I'm, <laughs> I have so many kinds of salt in the house and, and actually at my desk, I think I, right now I'm looking at like three, I'm looking around, I'm looking around. I have at least three different types of salt in my office right now. Um, you know, it's such a, a, a fun thing to collect when you're, tra you know, if you go out traveling or whatever and you, you go into a, you know, some weird grocery store somewhere and I see a type of salt I don't own, like that's my souvenir from my travels, you know? Um, and I find that different types of salt have different, you know, they have a different texture, they have a different integrity, they have a different intensity, uh, you know, to taste it, you can, you know, some are just saltier salts. Um, yeah, so I, I use it a lot in my magic and a lot in my cooking. Yeah, um, I traveled to Slovenia a lot and they have a salt works on their tiny coast. And the, I can't say it in Slovenian, I should be able to by now, but I can't, but the like tagline for the salt company is salt to sea that could not return to the sky. 
And I've just always thought that was so beautiful. And oh, I, I love that. I always buy salt for people as like my souvenir gift for them when I come back from Slovenia. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the most hysterically funny things is when you buy fancy salt and it has an expiry date on it. Yes. I and just, I guess they I have to. I mean, I guess they have to. But yeah. I'm like, it's a rock. It's not going to go bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's funny. So, I mean, we've covered a lot of this, but like, were there, because this book is so integrated into your practice, were there things in writing the book that actually changed your practice or surprised you when you were doing the writing or the research? Oh, I was afraid you're going to ask me about this <laughs> because the only, the thing that comes to mind, if I'm being honest, is, is the, the conversation around, uh, rocks and crystals. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm not going to lie. I own crystals uh, and they're really pretty and shiny. And my, you know, Taurus brain just loves beautiful objects and surrounding my environment with gorgeous things. Um, but I have a real hard time with a lot of the mining practices um, and the extraction methods that are used to uh, to get these pretty things onto the shelves of, you know, new agey shops or witchcraft shops. It, it really rubs me the wrong way. And, you know, I'm, I really wrestled with that. And this also kind of folds in with your previous question about research. I, I really, well, obviously, if you're writing a book about earth magic, you're going to have to talk about rocks and crystals and minerals so I sat with that it was a chapter I just kept putting off and putting off and putting off and it was literally you know keeping me up at night like how am I going to approach this without being a jerk about uh about them you know I like them I eh, you know like there's there's so many ethics involved and um so I have a friend who runs a, a store and her store is, it's sort of a, a groovy bohemian jewelry supply, jewelry making supply shop. So she has a lot of beads and little, you know, charms and things you can buy to make your own jewelry. And she also sells some pretty beautiful um, import goods from around the world. And she also has a really large offering of crystals that you can go and buy. And, uh, you know, her shop provides her with the means to support her family and to take her family on amazing buying trips, you know, to go to these locations to buy rocks, basically, um, and, you know, goods for her store. And so over a couple of, uh, over a few weeks, we, we met and had coffee in the park. This was, you know, beautiful during a beautiful summer. And I, I just picked her brain pretty hard about what it's like to, to be a crystal buyer who goes to such lengths to acquire, you know, things for her store. Um, because she literally will get on a plane and go to some far-flung place to meet with the people who mine these and to mm-hmm. buy stuff. And, you know, the harsh reality is like, yeah, a lot of these uh, businesses are, uh, are run by families and child labor is used. And, you know, she compared it to family farming where the kids are mucking out, you know, the animals and feeding the animals and getting up really early. You know, she compared it to that. I mean, the stakes maybe aren't quite so high, 
Um, but, uh, you know, crystal mining can be a much more dangerous thing than farming in a lot of ways. Um, but it also, in a lot of the places where these practices are, are enacted, the, there's not a lot of other options for people to earn a living. You know, people that are living in poverty and if they can make some money harvesting these rocks for Westerners who want to pay a lot of money for them and put them on a shelf, well, so be it. So I can't say I'm at peace with it because I'm, I'm still upset that a lot of these things have to happen. Um, I don't, it's one of those things where there's no easy answer for the the politics and ethics behind that but i understand it a lot more now and uh, i also know that just about every shop i've ever gone into and asked them where their rocks come from they all say oh we deal direct with this with the miners well yeah everybody says that mm -hmm. you know and everybody says that because the people that they buy them from say that it's it's a line that is used in that in that industry um you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, I had to sit with it for a really long time. Mm -hmm. um, do I use rocks more in my practice? Yeah, I would say I use the rock, my local rocks more. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if you want to find the right stone to do magic, look down. <laughs> what are you standing on? That's mm -hmm. probably a better place to start than the new age shop. Um, you know, if you want to do magic that works with water go to a local body of water and find a rock if you want to find a a rock that corresponds really well with the element of fire you know look around your local environment see what speaks to you mm -hmm. do that first you know uh, i'm probably more on top of that than i used to be uh, i think all witches like to collect rocks just in some capacity maybe not relying on a, a, a crystal store to supply you with your needs would be a better option. But if you have to go to the crystal store, you know, bear in mind what you're doing and how you're participating in that, in that machine and uh, just be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was a powerful section. And I liked the, the many suggestions you give about like, if, like you just now, like different ways, like if, if you set up a swap with your, you know, friends, your witches to, you, you know, redistribute the stuff that you already have rather than go buy new things. I think it was really a good suggestion. And that, that section, I mean, I didn't know you struggled with it, but I, I liked how thoughtful it was in the book about this aspect of earth magic of practice. So it well, shows, it shows in the work that you really thought about it, I think. Yeah, I agonized about it. And it's it's funny too. I was uh I was visiting some friends in Ontario and we stopped in at a flea market. It's big, big flea market. And I said, Well, I'm gonna look around and see if I can find any crystals here, you know, secondhand. And uh my two friends who were with me were like, Oh, I'd, I'd never think to look for crystals here. Wouldn't you know, we found two huge display cases. It looked like some collector must have sold off an entire collection of beautiful samples and the three of us just stood there staring at how beautiful they all were and it's like you know these are secondhand at least mm 
-hmm. you know, the prices were great. And, you know, looking in unconventional places for these things is, uh, you know, just keep your eyes open. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They'll show up. Yeah. I mean, if it's already out in the world, like as a secondhand thing, I mean, I think about that a lot with sustainability in general, if you're buying something secondhand, you're not contributing to new production the same yes. way. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I think this leads really well into my next question about like, what do you hope your readers take away from the book, especially Earth Magic? And how did you see your relationship or your responsibility to your readers in writing it? Well, I hope people take away that, um, oh gosh, I hope people take away the fact that it doesn't have to be complicated to be authentic. You know, you can connect to the element of earth by doing things that you would do anyway, right? But doing them with the awareness and mindfulness uh, and and the use of sort of a magical filter, right? You know, um, there's a chapter about witching in the kitchen, you know, cooking for the Sabbaths and recipes that that sim- that can be symbolic of that Sabbath. Um, you would probably cook dinner anyway or prepare food for a Sabbath anyway. But to do so with, you know, the, the season in mind and the types of ingredients in mind and, and with magical intent. Um, there's uh, in, in the introduction to the book, I talk about the overview effect, which is when um, it's something that's reported by astronauts when they go off into outer space and, and then they look down and they can see earth in its entirety and how precious and fragile it is just kind of floating out there in space. And, and people who have that opportunity to see that come back to earth kind of changed. Right. And, you know, I would hope that somebody who reads the book would reflect a little bit on what that might be like and how we can work with this planet in a constructive way with our magic and our daily activities in a way that we can kind of keep that whole vision sort of somewhere in our mind that, you know, the things that we do, the legacies that we leave, the imprint that we make, it's, uh, it's not just about the immediate here and now it's, it's, there's, there's a bigger picture um, that we can all, if we all did a little bit of that, we could change the whole thing. Right totally hippy dippy idealism coming from me right now but i really hope that that people take away a vision of uh the the planet uh as a living uh thing a living organism that we are a part of and that the the natural energy and currents of the earth are things that we can be attuned to and we can use to enhance our magic and our you know mundane lives too mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that we're a part of is so important. Like, I think we've, you know, especially in Western culture, we have this idea that somehow we're separate from nature and not of nature and part of nature. And I, I, I like that that discussion is happening. And I think you you point to that really beautiful in the book too, that you're we're not separate. <laughs> like what we do impacts it and we are impacted constantly. So. I think so. I, I, I believe that we are. 
And, you know, nature has almost been, I don't know, it's almost like some kind of strange fetish for people. It's, 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 it's othered, you know, um, but we're part of it and we need to reintegrate ourselves into the patterns of the natural world and not be so apart from it. You know, uh, the bewilderment people uh, experience when you, uh, or, and, and I see it, you know, if you, if you find somebody, if you have a friend who never goes out to the park or never, you know, stands outside in the rain and they, and you, you take them to have these experiences, um, it can be quite shocking to watch somebody who's confused by very natural things. And uh, I'm always surprised when I find pagans who are surprised by nature, you know, and nature in all of its forms, it, in, in, in its beauty and in its, its scariness, you know, there's some pretty terrifying elements of nature, but uh, um, being able to sort of breathe through that and accept that it's the way it's supposed to be, it's, it's okay, you know, holding back or hiding from it um, isn't healthy. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, thank you. That, I think you summed it up really well there. <laughs> why? And I think also why this book is be great for people to read and, and the rest of the series, how connected they are. And hopefully there is book two. I hope so. So what is on the horizon for you? Are there projects coming up that might look like book two for Earth Magic or what else is going on? Well, um, Right now, I'm working on a book about the relationships uh, between uh, magical practitioners and animals. Um, and I'm hoping to get that manuscript delivered in the new year as quickly as possible. Um, and then I'm going to start pushing for, for uh, something else about earth magic. I've got a, f a, few, a few logs in the fire. We'll see what catches. But um, uh, yeah, definitely the the witches and familiars magical companions book will be out um uh, probably if i deliver it in the new year probably early 2023 mm -hmm. um that's my guess um and yeah working on documentary film projects developing uh projects there as well so mm -hmm. okay i have all those I hope they catch, but maybe not all at the same time. <laughs> no, that would be a disaster. We need these nicely spaced and at a comfortable right. pace, exactly. right? Exactly. So I mentioned at the top that you have a website. Is there other place where readers can connect with you pretty easily or? Um, yeah, my website's a good place. Uh, uh, you can find me uh, Dodie GM on Instagram. Uh, there's uh, Dodie Graham McCabe books and films on Facebook. Um I don't do Twitter. <laughs> Social media is weird. I'd rather go outside and play than sit and sit and stare at a device. Um, so yeah, you can Insta is a good way to find me. Great. I won't Facebook's put all the links okay to that in the show notes for people to get to it pretty easily. So you know this because I sent you a warning at the top. But uh -oh. um, so our last question is: um, you mentioned your Taurus nature. I'm a double Scorpio, so I <laughs> love to talk about things we're not supposed to talk about. Yeah, um, I guess it's one of the reasons I wanted to do a podcast. So I'm going to roll a die, 
and depending on what number rolls, we'll, I, have, I will have a question for you that's either related to your book or writing in general. That's about death, sex, religion, politics, or money. And if I roll a six, you get to pick which you want the question to come from. Oh, dear. Okay. okay. All right. Are you ready? <laughs> or so politics, which we kind of already covered a little bit. <laughs> um, so you talk about protectors and you have a, an article, a essay from an earth protector, water protector in the book. So what do you see as the witch's role in climate change and what duty do witches have? Witches must, must protect the earth. We don't have um, the luxury of being ambivalent about this. Climate change is real. Um, I live in the middle of the Canadian prairies. We had a scorching hot summer and going outside was a challenge at times because the smoke that was in the air from forest fires that were hundreds of miles away was just blanketing the city and everybody looked stoned. We all had, you know, bloodshot eyes this summer from the smoke in the air. If that's not a wake up call, if that doesn't uh, demand people's attention, then I don't know what. Uh, British Columbia on the west coast of Canada right now is incurring terrible flooding. People are dying, okay? Wildlife is being uh, decimated. Um, farm animals are drowning by the tens of thousands. And people still won't wake up. Um, witches who want to think that they are being super cool and like, you know, working with the spirits of nature and doing all this groovy natural stuff, but not actually doing that in real life, um, need to do better. We just need, to, all of us need to do better. Um, if you wanna connect, with the deities or the genius Loki or the spirits of the land that you live on and, and get favors and boons from those entities, then do something to protect the land, people. It's, it's a no-brainer, you know? Um, on a very, very, you know, simplistic level, you know? Uh, if you're asking spirit, the spirits of this land to do something for you, yet you stand by while it's being raped and pillaged, you don't deserve to have your magic met. You know, it's a reciprocal relationship we need to have with our environment, period. You have to do something real if you want something real to happen. Hmm. Oh, I agree 100%. <laughs> was, was that ranty enough? Oh, it was perfect. I, I, will, I, will, I will gild your soapbox for you. Was I was hoping I we'd get, this. I was hoping we'd, we'd get sex when you rolled the dice, but. Uh, I know, like I haven't hit that with anybody yet. I'm really disappointed. <laughs> I have to change my But dice. you're a Scorpio. You I can know. do this. <laughs> I know. I'm going to have to like really ponder that the next time. I mean, sometimes the question kind of leads into that anyway, but um yeah, no, thank you so much. And like, don't feel like that's a rant. I like preach it like it for the ah. mountaintops. It's important. I was, I was hoping we'd get us. Maybe, maybe I'll be on the show again sometime. And, yes. And well, I'll send you a special dice. That's all just sixes or whatever. We there you need. go. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would love to have you back, especially when the new, when the book about familiars comes out. 
Yeah. Um, Let's do a person it. who lives with a cat. I'm, I'm looking forward to this book a lot. So, well, great. Thank you, Dodie, so much for being on. And um, let's keep in touch. Yes, let's do that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Witch Lit is a production of Thousand Volt Press and is edited by Kaifel A. Agostini, who also designed our logo. You can find us online at witchlitpod.com and on Instagram and Twitter at witchlitpod. Thanks for listening and for reading Witchy.